and we're back. Episode 11, season three, in the Texture Lounge. (laughs) So it is the beginning of August. What's happened since the last time we spoke? Beyonce dropped a new visual album called Black is King. I haven't seen it yet. I haven't seen it yet. I'm one of those people that can't see things during the hype. I mean, I still haven't seen The Wire yet, so (laughs) I know I have no excuse, but I tend to leave these things so late that you're like six seasons, seven seasons deep, and I just get turned off and can't even be bothered to start. Anyway, today joining me in the lounge is Dr. Michelle Henry. Dr. Michelle Henry is such an informative physician who is an expert in skin of color, skin cancer, and has such an expertise in the world of dermatology as it pertains to black skin. I was so thrilled when she agreed to join me in the lounge. We're going to talk about how to create the ideal daytime and nighttime regimen for you. We talk about sensitive skin. We talk about key ingredients like CBD, BHAs, AHAs, the differences. And yes, we talk about sunscreen. Okay, because we're always told how important it is for us to wear sunscreen. Dr. Henry talks about the reasons why, the differences between the two types, chemical and physical sunscreens. All in all, it's a super informative episode. I really liked her spirit and her energy. I feel like we really connected and believe it or not, we have never met. We had never had a conversation prior to this episode. So anyway, for those skincare aficionados out there, this one is for you. I hope you enjoy it and I hope you learn a little something along the way. And like I always say, if you love what you're hearing, don't be shy, rate, review, and subscribe. I am so excited this afternoon to be joined by Dr. Michelle Henry. So welcome to the Texture Lounge, Dr. Michelle Henry. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for having me. I'm excited and I love the name. Like It's fantastic. Thank you. Awesome. Awesome. Listen, um, talking about names, one of the questions that I do ask my guest, um, always ask my guests, it's one of our signature questions, is how much do you know about the origin of your name? and the story and meaning behind it. Is there anything you can share about yours, Michelle? That is a great question. And you know, <laughs> what's what's funny is that what I'm going to tell you is just what has been passed down to me from like my mom yeah. and, you know, other people in my family. I've actually never searched the origin. Uh-huh. So everyone listening that can quickly go to Google and search the origin <laughs> of my name. If I am wrong, I apologize. That's <laughs> funny. Love it. <laughs> so I, I believe that it means... Um, means like godlike or something like heavenly like something like that is what what I was told as a kid godlike something I'm not sure exactly but it's some something in that category is what I was told as a kid I know it's a French name but Mm -hmm. shockingly for someone who researches everything I have not researched my own name that is a fantastic question I'm gonna have to I'm glad that you 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 like the question. It's just something that I've been exploring a lot lately because um, we live in a world where those of us who might have names that are not necessarily Western or Westernized um, and you live in a Westernized world, you tend to come across or I tend or we tend to come across people who 
want to automatically shorten our names to make it easier mm -hmm. for them to pronounce. Mm -hmm. um, and I've always had this um, passion about you need to understand what my name means, where it comes from. And if you did, you probably wouldn't want to call me the short version of it. Um, actually, just to note what you said, in asking me that question and in me not knowing my name, it's, it's a, there's a true vulnerability in that. And it really made me reflect on the power of your name and yes. having ownership of your name. Yeah. So I am so happy that you gave me that exercise because it is, it's really it's powerful amazing. how you frame yourself, you know? I so I cannot imagine, of course, Michelle's a, you know, a common name. Um, but even so, I couldn't imagine having a name that is powerful to my family and meaningful to my family and not having people respect it because there's so much power in how you frame yourself. So excellent yeah. question. Thank uh, you for that. Well, thank you. No, awesome. I'm glad, I'm glad you see that. Yeah. So listen, we're living in the world of quarantine, the world of COVID-19. I'm sure you've had various conversations, interviews um, about this topic specifically. But I kind of like to not necessarily harp on about the negative um, side of it. I love to kind of delve into to understand if it's been something that has impacted you positively um, yeah. in any shape or form and if you've learned anything about yourself during this time. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Um, I am lucky that my family, is, they're all really healthy. I've been healthy. Um, I've definitely been affected by some of my dear patients have been you know, gravely affected by, by COVID and that's been very difficult to deal with. Um, but I've been very lucky in terms of my personal life. Um, and this period of quiet has really been powerful for me. Mm. So I, I am overbooked in all ways. <laughs> so I'm always busy. Nice. And you know, in New York, we kind of subscribe to that work to you, you know, sleep when you're dead kind oh, of mentality, yeah. grind and grind mentality. And we kind of glorify it in many ways. And so I, I really did feel like so many like fantastic things have been happening in my career. I've been doing all this work that I'm really proud mm -hmm. of. I've been giving talks and doing research that I'm really proud of. I've never had a moment to really sit down and, and really like appreciate it. Right. And so COVID finally gave me time to sit down and appreciate the work that I've been doing and beyond appreciating what I've been doing, strategize and figure out those things that make me happiest. So I can yes. fill out the noise and the nonsense and focus on those things that make me happiest and feel the most gratifying to me so that I can do better, more important work. Um, and it also helped me realize that we live a life of excess and always, oh you know, in, in, in terms of like the things that we purchase, the events that we attend, the people that we keep in our lives, you know, <laughs> there's so That's, much excess. Yeah. And it just made me think about like, what do I really need in terms of like, who are the friends that feed me? What mm. are the foods that feed me? Yeah. What is the social media that feeds me, the inner TV that feeds me? What are the things that feed me and make my life best? And how do I distill out the noise of all sorts to make sure that my entire diet is what makes me better. And you never have time to do that until you get still. And so this has been great. Oh, I love that. I love that. It's, I have felt the same, you know, particularly to your point about simplification. There's been mm -hmm. so much excess that we have been consuming for years and years, and we've never had the time to kind of stop and go, do I actually need that? Is this thing mm -hmm. actually fueling me or is it um, draining my energy? And now that we have the time to stop and reflect, for me, my biggest, um, my biggest learn is that I'm finding that I'm so attached to this, my phone. Yeah. Like I literally, what day is it today? Today's Thursday. So Sunday night, I decided that I'm going to start turning my phone off in the evenings, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like when I'm sleeping. 
um, and actually used the alarm clock that we have in our bedroom to wake me up. <laughs> this random thing, round circular object on our dresser that never gets used <laughs> is now being used. Um, we rely totally on it. Um, I, I rely on it for everything, my phone that is. So even that little exercise of turning my phone off in the evening is helping me realize how much I don't need to be attached to it the way that I am. I definitely feel a sense of anxiety with all the communication that is happening, all the lives that are happening on Instagram, because I want to attend them all, all Mm -hmm. the virtual events, everything, all the, you know, viral videos that are going around as it pertains to police brutality. You want to know what's happening and be on top Mm -hmm. of it, but it's too much. So it's a lot for me. So I hear you. So you are in the world of dermatology. You are an incredible expert uh, when it comes to quite a lot of things, specifically skin of color, um, Mm -hmm. skin cancer. Tell me a little bit about how you fell into this world. You know, it's funny. I never thought of dermatology growing up. I never Mm. visited a dermatologist. It was like the furthest thing, you know, in my mind when I thought about being a physician, I actually thought I was going to be a breast cancer surgeon. Oh, my grand aunt who kind of was there with me and raising me with, you know, my mother and my family, um, died of breast cancer really early in life. And she was just a woman of great foresight and just a tremendous, a tremendous woman, a tremendous mother. Um, and I was so close to her that six months before she died, she knew she was dying. She prepared me for life. So I would sit on her lap and she would talk to me about, this is how you find a mate. (laughs) And this this is what you should study. And these are the things that I've seen that you're good at. This is what ladies do. Um, and when we talked no. about my career, I was always interested in science. And so we decided that I was going to be a breast cancer surgeon to save patients like her. And so my whole life, okay. I thought I was going to be a breast cancer surgeon. Um, ended up working at MD Anderson when I was in, um, um, I think in college, I would volunteer at MD Anderson. Okay. I worked on the oncology floors and knew that I loved this idea of helping, but also knew that I'm an empath, you know, and it, it was heavy and it was hard for yeah. me. And so I wanted to find a way that I could cure and heal, um, and, and, and enjoy my patients and, um, and, you know, not become a wild vigilante. I would have spent all of my days, you know, <laughs> you know not enjoying, you know, life and enjoying, mm. you know, the other things in science that I, that I really appreciate. So when I got into medical school, my very first mentor was a Mohs surgeon. And so Mohs surgeon is a specialized type of skin cancer surgery. Oh, okay. Um, so, um, you know, skin cancer is, you know, the mo- most common type of cancer. And what I loved about it is that I could still cure cancer. So I could still treat my patient. Um, I learned really early in medical school that I'm really good with my hands. And I was technically better than most very early on. So I knew it was right. something, a skill that I did not want to give up. Yeah. And so the beauty of most surgery is that you cut out the cancer and then you have to reconstruct the skin. Okay. And so you're using a little bit of the, the same plastic surgery techniques, but the patients are also awake and you can talk to them and I love talking to my patients and knowing their lives. And, you know, before I decided on um, Mohs surgery, I actually thought about psychiatry because ah. I really enjoy healing people in that way. And so Mohs surgery was just the perfect marriage of everything I love. I can cure their cancer on the day. I can operate and make them beautiful. And I can talk to them about whatever is ailing them mentally and try to, you know, do my best in that area as well. So I, I loved it. 
And my mentor told me, you know, this is a subset of dermatology. So if you love this, mm -hmm. you have to love dermatology because you have to go the dermatologic route. So okay. that was my next rotation. And I absolutely adore dermatology because it's all things. I could see young and old, lots of skin of color, which was something I was always interested in. And it was an area where I really found that, you know, not only did my, um, my, my academic skills and my, you know, the knowledge that I have from years of study, not only was that important, but culture is important, yes. you know, it was a point where I could infuse my culture and I felt that it was an invaluable, you know, when someone comes in, they're like, I've been using this black gel and everyone else is like, black gel, I've never heard of it. I'm like, oh, I know. The I know the one. <laughs> Or when they're like, you know when your relaxer does this? I'm like, oh, yes, yep. I know. I know when your relaxer does mm -hmm. that, right? And it's so important in dermatology to making the diagnosis because you can really go left if you don't understand culture in, in dermatology. And so it really was really everything I love. It's infectious disease. It's detective work. It's surgery. It's aesthetics. And so it was really perfect for me. I love that. Because actually what you say about, you know, being black and understanding the culture um, if you don't understand it, you can go left. You can make some really bad decisions very quickly. Absolutely. It's, it's, and I, the reason why I like that is because it's transversal. Like that concept is transversal in every industry. If you don't mm -hmm. have a person who is a part of what, whichever culture we're speaking to, um, you can make some really bad decisions in and out of exactly. the boardroom. Um, we, exactly. we see it every day. So it's actually quite interesting to hear that it does thread through into the uh, medical industry as well. Yeah, for, absolutely. For sure. Things like, uh, not to go on a tangent, but even in, you know, in general medicine, things like the foods that we eat, mm. the infections that we see in our countries, yeah. you know, the, the myths and delusions we may have in our, you know, fixed beliefs that we may have in our countries that may lead to practices someone may not pick up on if they don't know our culture, you yeah. know, um, or someone may be, maybe, you know, so it's just so important. And I've seen things go awry many, many, many times when there have been like cultural mismatches. So it's important. Can you give us an example? Obviously, with not 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 going into detail because there's patient, client, doctor confidentiality. But is there yeah. like a overarching um, example you can give us? Um, you know, I mean little things in dermatology, but then I have a, a more um, a more I guess grave situation as well. Okay. Um, so in dermatology, little things like some rashes that we see on the skin, patients call it something that like a lot of so my my, my family is Grenadian. Okay. So I'm West Indian. Um, and patients will call it lota is what they'll call it. In dermatology, that's something called tinea versicolor, right? It's okay. very, very clear. It's a very simple rash. But a lot of others get really confused when they hear the patients call it this thing. Uh, They're looking to find out what it is. They think it's some infection. They think it's something else. It's just about cultural competency, yep. you know? Yeah. Um, and, and then, or the patients will come. A lot of Caribbean patients will say, you know, it's on my foot. It's actually on their leg, but for some reason they prefer to say foot. There you go. There you go. <laughs> And then the residents come in, they're like confused, something's wrong with the patient, they're calling the foot, but it's a leg, and I said, don't worry about that. <laughs> you, know, photo, you know exactly you know? where they're talking about. You know exactly where it is. <laughs> and then in the hospital, um, there was one patient, uh, sorry about that. That's okay. Um, and, and there was one, in the hospital, there was one patient, um, an Asian gentleman from a really particular province in mainland China. Um, and he was showing up, you know, having all of this like wasting, really, you know, losing weight. Uh, massive diarrhea mm -hmm. and was presenting like a patient that might have a particular type of cancer, right? Okay. But all of the imaging was wrong. All the studies didn't show the cancer that they were looking for, this type of kind of gastric cancer. Um, nothing lined up with the diagnosis. Mm. No. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Yeah. Okay, perfect. So nothing lined up with the diagnosis. 
Um, and then we had this Asian uh, American physician come in um, whose family was also from that Providence. And there's a really specific parasite that's really common there. And this mm. man actually had a parasite. He didn't have cancer at all. Oh. And so they were able to treat this parasite with antiparasitic medications. And he walked out. This was a man who we were preparing for oh either gosh. exploratory surgery or, you know, to do some sort of chemo. And it just took that kind of cultural competency and that detective work to think about where he lived and what he might have been exposed to, where, what kind of environment he was living in to yeah. make the diagnosis. And so it really takes, it takes all types. Phew. And that's why diversity and inclusion is so important, you know? Wow. Well, listeners, you hear it there first. That's exactly yeah. why it's important. Yeah. So what do you wish you knew about this industry before you started it? Oh, gosh. How long do you have? I have time. <laughs> so, I'm not going I anywhere. Um, <laughs> I think, I mean, I wish I knew. I wish I knew to um, trust my voice early on, right? As much as I'm saying cultural is in, important, when I started, I didn't realize how important it was. Mm-hmm. And I realized that there's something special. Your instincts are special. Your experiences are special. And that's why we're here. And that's why diversity is here. And if you quiet that, you're doing a disservice to you, those that came before you, those that will come after you, and everyone that you touch. So to trust my voice, trust my instincts, know that I've done the work. Don't let imposter syndrome suffocate, oh, gosh, yeah. you know, the efforts that you put in. And so I think early on in my career, I was really... Um, you know, it takes time to get your stride and believe in yourself and speak up immediately. Yeah. And after watching things fail because I didn't speak up or watching us as a team not not accomplish what we wanted because I didn't speak up, now I am shameless. <laughs> I uh. speak up all the time because it's so it's so important to not be afraid. And so I think yeah. that's that's what I was I suffered with that initially. Um, other things that I wish that I knew, you know, there's no overnight success. You know, we we watch it, we watch social media, and we're like, oh, this person is just magnificent. Uh-huh. It takes work. There's so yeah. many people who will tell me, you just blew up overnight. And I'm like, no, because seven years ago, when I was like staying up late at night yeah. and writing the articles and doing the research, that's what you're seeing now. Exactly. You know? um, there's a big lead time to success. And so I think that, you know, we're really hard on ourselves because we want it to happen overnight. But when you're starting out your career, just trust the process and know that it takes work and you will get there if you are tenacious and you don't quit. Um, what else did I wish that I knew? Um, you know, take time for the things that you love. Work is always there, you know, mm-hmm. and you love your work more when you love your life, Yeah, you know? And so I think there were times that I, by nature, you know, as, as immigrants, you know, our na- yep. oftentimes it is, we also subscribe to that sleep when you're dead kind of oh, yeah. know, thing. You know, it's just like work, 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 you have to make it happen. And I think that life became easier for me when I started taking inventory of those things that make me happy and making sure I carved out time the same way that I carve out time for meetings to feed myself in all those other ways. So I wish I started that earlier. Um, I think those are probably my top three. I'm learning. I'm learning that last one right now. Just carving, yeah. t- slowing down, carving time out. Like literally, if I have to put it in my calendar. Mm-hmm. And that's the only way I'm going to get my workout in or go for a walk. Then that's what I need to do until it becomes natural. Exactly. And it has to be sacrosanct. Like yes. no can come in. Yes. That time. Yes, exactly. I remember um, a couple of, well, I want to say about a month ago, it, one of the things that I've been dreaming about doing for such a long time, because I couldn't remember the last time I did this, was taking a nice, long, luxurious bath. Like literally turning on the tap, yeah. letting the water rise, dropping in a few of my favorite essential oils, like lemon. I think it was lavender I put in there. Yeah. I what did I got? What did I get? I got a glass of champagne. Oh. 
Um, I had a body scrub scrub by the side. Should I choose to use it? And I did. (laughs) And I got my iPad out and I just put on a Toni Morrison documentary and I turned the candles on. Lights were out. Husband knew not to come and disturb me. And it was sensational. Something as simple as taking a bath in a luxurious way was like a massive highlight for me this last month. You're speaking my language. I love a bath. Yes. And you're right. And being able to do it and not say, okay, I'm going to shower for 10 minutes. I'm going to get out and then I'm going to work until 1130. (laughs) You know, that's usually my schedule, you know, you're right. Taking that moment, whatever it is, and not being on schedule is so important. It's holy. It's holy. you got to make it holy time. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, I mean, looking at you, and I know my listeners will be listening through to this podcast um, via audio, and I'm seeing you face to face. You are gorgeous. You have great oh, skin and um, look beautiful. So I wonder, can you share any confid- confidence killers you have perhaps had in the past or even now and how you got over them? Oh, so many. I think, um, <laughs> I mean, I'll start when I was younger. So now I'm not the skinniest girl in the room anymore but I used to be really painfully skinny oh really (laughs) confidence killer like growing up in college I always felt like I I don't feel like a woman everyone looks like a woman I look like a (laughs) girl Uh, I caught up and I surpassed that (laughs) should have been grateful back then but I wasn't did it um so that was a confidence killer for me and I think also just like struggles with like you know hair growing up you know Mm. um and I think that like you know my my hair is is quite fine and relaxers are just never good for me you know yeah I would go this period and it would grow long and it would break and too much heat and this and it was limp and I didn't like this I think like like getting my stride and like trusting myself and going natural and being okay with being natural sometimes and wearing extensions and knowing that my hair wasn't a sentence and the beauty of our texture, right? Is that we can do many different things and we don't have to feel like it's a sentence. We can change it and we can feel beautiful in that way. So I think that like, that was a learning process for me, like figuring out like, what can I do? Is it okay if I do this? If I do, you know, should I be ashamed if I do that? So that, that was definitely a thing for me. Um, what else was there? Um, I think those are probably my my, my major my major two that I kind of had to grow into. You know, um, I also have a big face, a generous face, but now I love it. Right? I love generous. Yes. How about we flip the language, you know, yes. and speak positively? Use positive, you know, affirmations instead of. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's generous. It's more ones. to look at. It's more for people to bask in your glow. That's it. <laughs> I remember always feeling like I look like a bobblehead. I have this big face and this little body and a fat. But now I just love it. And then and beyond beyond Amazing. loving it in myself, I love it in other women. When I see generous faces, I'm like, oh, I just want to look at her. Yes. I'm taking her face. And so it, I, I think that's when you know you've truly, like, um, rejected all the, the negative things you've internalized. Exactly. Because And and I want to say this, too. I would have never thought that I would feel that way. But I would truly just adore it. And yep. I would truly just love to see it in other people. And that means for whatever, who's ever listening, that thing that you hate, you can flip the switch. You just have to intentionally decide. Because especially in beauty and in someone who does aesthetics and I'm trained to micromanage beauty and I'm trained to like know all the perfect quote, perfect proportions. Uh And we're taught to like subscribe to like your lips should be this way. And you're in a lot of what I lecture about is like, I just don't believe that. Because frankly, these proportions that we're trained just don't align for for black women. Right. And frankly, they don't look more beautiful than us. Our proportions are different and those proportions are perfect. Right. Exactly. And so making sure that like, you know, 
you can decide. You can decide. The, 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 the great thing about beauty is that it is what you make of it. It's what you believe. Mm. These things change all the time. If we think about bodies even, like yeah. in the 80s, when it, in the 90s, when oh, it was yeah. all about the big, fake breasts and blah, 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 uh-huh. blah, blah. Now we see them and we're like, oh, God. You know, we want exactly. to see a different type of body shape. Yes, right? so true. You know, in the 80s and 90s, when Pamela Anderson was a standard of beauty, we would never have believed that 15 years later, the total opposite would have been the standard. Exactly. And I just, you hold on to that and just know that these things are fleeting. These standards are fleeting. Just hold on to what your core is and what you believe is beautiful and let the world catch up. Oh, gems, gems. <laughs> okay. So let's talk about skincare in your household. Do you remember any moments um, in your household or where um, skincare played a, you know, a dominant part to your upbringing, upbringing or even where perhaps, you know, an older sibling or relative, mother, grandmother may have passed down some kind of ritual that is specific to beauty and skincare that she still hold dear today. So, you know, it's funny we were talking about bathing. And I think that I might love bathing because it is something that's kind of been passed down as this luxurious thing, you know, Mm -hmm. like even from my like, my, uh, my great aunt who was raised with me as a grandmother, you know, okay. I was stressed out. She'd make me a, a beautiful bath and she would put in, like, I think about like the, the like little fragrances she'd put in. And at the point, which I thought was the height of like, of, of, of beauty and the height of like bathing, it was things like a, not Calgon, but something Calgon like, right? <laughs> it wasn't very pricey, but to a 10 year old, it was just peak luxury, right? Yeah. So, and so this whole bathing ritual is like taking time and like ha- taking that luxury is something that we always did. Mm-hmm. Um, and my mom was always into like the, the best creams and moisturizers. So okay. at, uh, early in my life, it was always about having either your, your ponds or your Olay or whatever it was, yep. but washing your face at night and lathering on your beauty cream before you go to bed to take care of your skin, to make sure you look beautiful. So that's that. something that I'd, I've always been kind of wed to because those are things that were passed down and then lots of natural things. So like my mom always believed in like putting coconut oil on your body. And whereas a dermatologist, I reject it on the face because it clogs the pores. Um, but I still do like it for the body. And, yeah. Um, you know, so just so many things. Turmeric has always been a part of, you know, we eat a lot of it um, in the Caribbean. Yeah. Okay. Um, but we also use it in skincare as well. So that's been a part of like things that I think about in creating beauty. So interesting. So, so randomly today when I was making, um, I usually make myself some matcha tea in the morning. Yeah. Um, but more, more recently I've been exploring matcha latte. So I use oat milk instead mm-hmm. and I love the whole whisking process. It's very yeah. therapeutic for me. Yeah. But today, for the first time ever, I randomly decided that I was going to throw in some turmeric into yeah. my matcha latte um, because I'm just, you know, I'm trying to do better in terms of, um, you know, the nutrients I'm putting inside my body. And mm-hmm. I've heard about how good it is um, in terms of skincare as well. But I have very sensitive skin, so I'm very mm-hmm. kind of like, I'll come to that in a minute. Yeah. Um, so it's really interesting that you bring up turmeric because today was the day that I decided to to play with it. What is so special yeah. about turmeric? What What is it about you know, it's the a spice? Really, it's an anti-inflammatory agent. Yeah. Um, and when you put it on topically, it helps to break up pigment, lighten, and so, not so lighten not to like lighten your normal skin color, but yeah. break up any excess pigment. Okay. Um, anti-inflammatory. It's soothing. And if you there's this like inflammatory. Um, it's a school of thought that inflammation causes all things bad. <laughs> so it causes accelerated aging on the skin, but mm-hmm. also causes accelerated aging internally. So in ter- terms of like 
coronary artery disease and all the different processes that cause us to age, whatever we can do to reduce inflammation will help to slow down that process. So that's why it's really good internally. Um, But topically on the skin, it's really good because it helps to brighten up the skin tone. It helps to reduce any inflammation, any irritation, um, and give the skin a nice glow. So is that literally going to your spice cabinet, pulling out turmeric and applying it topically or... Does it need to be infused into like a, a cream or a something? Yeah, people mix it with like a little bit of yogurt. I mean, there's so oh. many recipes over the counter that you okay. can use. But you know, mixing with a little yogurt, people mix it with a little honey. Ah, um, it's really I like that. The base that's going to make it like stick, stick. not just the, the turmeric itself. Yeah, I'm sure true. there's some people who just make it into a paste, you know, with, yeah. with water. And then you know, can make a paste and put it on. It'll be a little scratchy when you take it off. But I imagine that will work as well. Okay. Um, so, yeah. So many DIY masks that you can make with turmeric. I love it. Okay, look, so we're here to talk about black, don't crack, one of the mm-hmm. most popular phrases mm-hmm. that is has always been used for time immemorial and, and even today. Mm-hmm. So how do you feel about this statement? I know it's a big general sweeping statement, but how do you feel about that every time you hear yeah, it? So I, I am always rejecting that statement because you are. Um, for two reasons, right? Um, one thing is like black didn't crack, but it does sag, fall, and dull, right? So we do age in, in different ways. So yeah. I always say that my my like um, white patients are um, wrinklers and shrinkers, mm-hmm. um, but my black patients and my patients of color are saggers and stinkers. Mm. Um, so we don't wrinkle, but we do. We lose volume. We, we start to sag. Yeah. We start to age on the eyes. So I see, I do a lot of aesthetics. I see a lot of women of color. I'm doing filler underneath the eyes every single day because those are the areas that we, we age. Um, you know, women of color, especially women of African descent, women of Asian descent yeah. tend to be a little flatter in this mid cheek area. Okay. And because of that, we sag there early, okay. early, not earlier than our, um, our, uh, white patients, but we still, you know, we may not get fine lines and wrinkles until we're in our late forties and fifties, mm-hmm. but we're going to sag and start to sag and sink maybe in our thirties, thirties, early forties. Huh. Um, so we age, we just age differently. And so we have to learn how to interpret that. We age also by getting uneven skin tone. So our skin yeah. gets spotted. That's another way that we age. Yep. Um, you know, we get little growths on our skin that we call like Morgan Freeman spots. That's another sign of aging, right? Morgan um, Freeman so spots. Do, <laughs> so we do age. We just age differently. Yeah. Um, and so it just takes a, a keen eye. And I do think there's so much pressure in like black don't crack. But what if your black is cracking, right? Do you just feel like, you know, what do I do? We're not allowed to do this. Because so many black women come into my office and they're like, I know we don't do this. And I'm like, we absolutely do. You should absolutely not be ashamed of trying to make yourself look the best that you can. There's mm-hmm. so much pressure in black don't crack, you know? Totally is. Um, so we melanin is beautiful and it's, you know, it helps us, protect us from the sun. But yeah. we do age in other ways. Um, and so hopefully, um, you know, because we we don't photo age, we do tend to age about 10 years later than than those with white skin or, or okay. lighter skin. But okay. we do age eventually. Yeah. And if you do age, it's okay to fix it. You don't have to feel like we don't ever crack and you're bound to that, you know? Well, I feel like I might change the name of this episode to what if your black is cracking? That's a slamming line right there. <laughs> black crack. Um, so I, will, I just say that in summary, we age later in life because melanin is amazing, but we do ultimately age. And mm-hmm. I just feel like sometimes I don't want women to have, there's so much shame in it that we can't fix it. We can fix it. Yep. It's okay. Yep. I love that. So listen, are there any like stark differences in how um, melanated skin should be cared for versus our Caucasian counterparts? Yeah, so there's something that I see a lot. So a lot of people will think that because darker skin types don't 
don't turn red immediately once you put a cream on them that for some reason they're less sensitive. That's absolutely wrong. Um, so I do, a lot of people think that, you know, darker skin types aren't as sensitive. So you can throw all of these things on it. What's really important is that with darker skin types, not only can they be really sensitive, but if you get inflammation, you're then going to get hyperpigmentation, oh, yeah. which could be really, yeah, which could be really hard to treat. So mm -hmm. a lot of my patients take for granted that just because you don't see the red immediately, that inflammation is still there and yeah. you're still going to see the consequences of that inflammation. So still treat your skin with care and assess your skin type. Are you sensitive? Are you dry? Are you oily? Mm -hmm. You know, there's no one black skin type. Right. So really assess your skin and respect your melanin. Anything that you do aggressively, you know, are not to be too scientific. Oh, please but we have, do it. Yeah. So we have these little organelles, which are inside of our cells called melanosomes. And, and, and although black and white skin, we have the same number of melanocytes, which are the cells in black skin, we have more melanosomes and they are full of melanin. They're okay. so full that anything can cause them to leak. So inflammation causes them to leak. You know, that's why some patients say, I get a mosquito bite. I rub my skin too hard. I get hyperpigmentation. Yeah. So it's that's very me. common. Yeah. And that's because we have those organelles that are just so full of melanin. And so we have to be really sensitive and really careful with how we treat our skin. Um, can I, can I just ask just on the scientific piece? So these organelles contain the melanosomes, he said? Melanosomes is the name of the organelle, and they're okay. packed with melanin. melanin. And they all live in the melanocyte, which is the, the cell that makes color. So you were saying that, you know, with any abrasions or anything that might cause inflammation, the melanin can then leak. Is that how we get, like, the the, bru the bruising and the, the darkness kind of raises to the surface of the skin? Or I'm trying well, to understand. True bruising is blood. And so if you mm. hit yourself or you bleed, that's, that's okay. In, in, in black skin, um, blood can, the iron can leave behind pigment. And we call that hemosiderin deposition or hemosiderin deposits. Right. And that can be really hard to treat. So that's a little bit different okay. from what you're seeing when you scratch yourself or you have a bug bite or acne cyst. Okay. Um, so those melanocytes, those melanosomes just kind of spill over pigment and it causes hyperpigmentation. But mm. from a bruise, that's a totally different thing. That's a kind different thing. Okay. Yeah. I hear that. Okay, cool. I get that. I'm learning a little science tonight. <laughs> okay, so let's talk uh, skincare routines. Tell me how important it is to have a regular skincare routine. And if I was to ask you, what should it look like? I know it's kind of a broad question because everybody's different. But yeah. for those of my listeners, for example, who are maybe embarking into really treating their skin, right, mm -hmm. during this quarantine period, and they're kind of new to it, what should they know about developing their skincare routine? So I will give you kind of my keep it simple routine. Yes. And then I'll do an addendum. Perfect. <laughs> so the keep it simple is really just kind of like four steps, right? Okay. So you need a good cleanser and that cleanser should be dependent on your skin type. So if you're oilier, maybe you want a foaming cleanser or a gel cleanser. Um, if you're a little bit drier, maybe a cream cleanser is going to be better for you, but assess your skin type. Everyone needs a good uh -huh. cleanser. Um, the second step, is that let's say if it's in the morning, what is your, you need a treatment. So let's say mm -hmm. that if you're just, you're fine, you just want to maintain, you want to make sure you're not getting pigment. Vitamin C is a fantastic treatment. It's a good antioxidant it's going to protect your skin from damage. It's going to maintain your skin tone. Um, and so maybe a vitamin C serum. Okay. For someone who suffers from dryness, um, maybe a hyaluronic acid serum is going to be your treatment. Okay. okay. Um, for someone who has acne, maybe something with salicylic acid or, mm. or glycolic acid. Okay. So your treatment is next. And then we kind of lock in our treatment 
with a moisturizer. So our moisturizer is thicker than our serum. Mm-hmm. So your moisturizer is next. And you don't have to have a serum, but if, if you want to, plus or minus, I think it's good for us to add something else. So we're going to say okay. our cleanser, our treatment, our moisturizer, and then our sunscreen. Everyone, no matter your skin type, the deepest, darkest, most beautiful skin is just SPF 13. We all need 30 and above to keep ourselves safe. Mm-hmm. Um, so those four steps are, are what we need. Okay. Um, plus or minus the treatment. So if you're like, I can't do a treatment, please reduce it for me. <laughs> and you can cleanse, you can moisturize, and you can sunscreen. Okay. Got it. And we're going to talk about sunscreen a little bit later, but I'm glad you mentioned what you did because I, I brought some of my favorite skincare um, oh, products products so here. <laughs> so I don't have my cleanser here, but I do use um, a CeraVe hydrating cleanser. Um, I, like I have never really, I've, I'm exploring CeraVe. It's part of the L'Oreal family. So, you know, I like to kind of explore there first and then branch out um, in most cases. The hydrating cleanser is super interesting because it's like a, it doesn't foam. It's mm-hmm. very much like a gel consist, a light gel consistency, and it goes on almost like a, a light lotion. So for mm-hmm. me, it's still kind of weird because I'm expecting it to give me that yeah. cleansing, stripping kind of feeling, but it, it really doesn't. Um, yeah. But I like it because it's I have got sensitive skin. So if I do get a little eczema popping up somewhere, um, mm-hmm. I do like using it in that area. So that's what I'm using as my cleanser. And then I like this um, skin suitical CE Ferulic. You know yeah. it. You know yeah. it. <laughs> it's an iconic one. Everyone loves it. Yeah. It's a real, you know, one of the more stable um, vitamin C yeah. serums. It's, it's a beauty. I'm a fan. I do love. And when it's maybe fall and winter, I do use the hydrating B5 gel. Mm-hmm. Um, but right now it's so warm. I, I'm kind of skipping that step. And I guess in the daytime, right now I'm using the Tatcha water cream, which um, I quite like. It's unusual for me to like this type of consistency. It's very, very lightweight. I usually like thick, heavy creams, creams that you know Mm -hmm. are there. Um, But a friend of mine, you know, she she recommended that I give it a try because it breaks really beautifully and it really feels like it's has great spreadability. So right now I, I'm using it and I, and I quite like it. I think I've been using it for about a year now. So oh, wow. yeah, I stuck with that one. Here. The richer one at night, the Tatcha, um, the dewy skin cream is yeah. beautiful too. It's rich. It has that stick that you like. It does. Really for the daytime. But you, if you like Tatcha, you might like that one. I, I will give that a try then. Cause I did see it and I considered whether to get it or not. But, um, I guess in the evening I'm using a different moisturizer. I'm using, um, a skin suitacles renew overnight dry. It's a nighttime mm-hmm. skin refining moisturizer for normal or dry skin. I really like it. Yeah. It's super, yeah. I don't know if you can see that, but it's beautiful, super thick, which I love in the evenings. Very luxurious. Mm-hmm. Very nice. Um, I love oils. I've got a couple here, but we can talk about that later. So <laughs> should there be a difference between your morning and evening routine? I do because, you know, um, when we think about what we're doing to our skin with skincare is that we're restoring our skin, but we're also protecting our skin. Mm. And so unless you work at night, (laughs) you know, you should have something to protect your skin from the sun, from the free radicals. If, you know, in New York, in LA, um, the pollution that we're encountering. Mm -hmm. So I'm a big fan of antioxidants because, you know, when we let those free radicals just run wild, they're poking holes in our collagen, they're causing accelerated aging. Um, so I do, I really do think that you should have a different nighttime and daytime regimen. I'm a huge fan of all things retinoid and retinol. Um, so I think it's absolutely critical to my skincare. So I like to use that at night, but not in the daytime Mm -hmm. as much. Um, there are certain really stable ones that you can use in the day, um, but more often than not, I'm using a retinoid at night. 
Um, sometimes I use it twice a day because I'm naughty and I'm acne prone. Um, but okay, yeah, I think, gotcha. they, I think they should because, you know, the daytime is about protection. The nighttime is about restoration. Mm. And so we really should have kind of a different regimen to make sure we're meeting those goals. And for those people out there who perhaps don't have so many, don't have a lot of time to, um, you know, use t- tons of different products, right? There are some people out there that are using like, I don't know, eight to 10 different products mm-hmm. in their skincare routine. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, it's almost as it's a ritual for, for them. Yeah. Are there any must know multitaskers that they could get that they could use? Oh, this is a good question. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, if you, let's say you want to get some active ingredients into your regimen, yeah. maybe you're a little acne prone, but you don't want to deal with a million steps. Mm-hmm. And I like some of the cleansers with acne ingredients with some so acne fighting ingredients. So let's say like, um, there's one called Replenix that is not a huge brand name, but I like it because it's 5% glycolic acid, 2% salicylic acid. Mm. That's a nice one. You know, using a cleanser with some actives. Okay. And then let's say in the morning, just using a moisturizer with sunscreen. There's so many good ones. Like CeraVe has their hydrating um, mineral sunscreen and it has a nice sheer tint. So it looks good on brown skin, but it's still moisturizing. That's okay. a good option. CeraVe, I, I, I like CeraVe. I love L'Oreal <laughs> as well. But CeraVe also has an ultralight moisturizer with SPF 30, okay. um, which is super moisturizing, but gives you your SPF. So if you're someone who says, I don't have all day, then you can use your cleanser that has those ingredients in yep. it and then put on your moisturizing sunscreen and you've turned four steps into two, right? Perfect. Um, and at night, you can do the same thing, you know? So there are creams, moisturizing creams with retinol in them. Mm-hmm. So that way you get your treatment in your moisturizer all in one, and then you use your cleanser. So that's a nice way to find those kind of multitasking mm-hmm. um, products. Um, what else is there? There are some good oils. So um, like I think Sunday Riley has a good retinol oil. So it's going to oh, give nice. you retinol, but that oil is also going to give you some hydration. So yeah. it's going to give you some restoration at night, but you're going to get your retinol in as well. Perfect. So products. Uh, but it. those are just kind of some some good ways to approach it. So talking about oils, I need you to clarify something for me. You know, one of the things that I'm finding so uh, sometimes so stressful when I tune into all these Instagram lives, you know, listen, these lives are great because there's lots of great knowledge that's being shared, but there's also some where it's like, you don't need to be talking about this topic because you're not an expert, right? (laughs) I, I need clarify for me this concept of oils in your regimen. Like, should they be layered underneath the moisturizer or mm-hmm. on top of the moisturizer? Or is there a place for both? So it's it's complex, right? Because oh, there are many okay. different oils, many different properties, some that are more emollients and some that are more occlusive than others. Um, some oils that I don't like on the face at all. Okay. Um, I'm more of a fan of putting the oil on top of the moisturizer. Yeah. Um, because the moisturizers are going to be, are going to bring water into the skin. Yep. And then I want the oil to lock it in. Yeah, um, exactly. And so, yeah, when we just think about how it functions, you know, you want to bring, put your hydrator on and then put your occlusive agent mm-hmm. on top to make it work better. So that's how I, okay. I, I use it. Um, but, you know, some people use it differently. They like the oil because it's an emollient and they put their moisturizer on top. But I think that if we're like kind of sticking to the, like the, the science of how it works, yeah. I personally think the oil should go on afterwards. Okay. Um, and then, then we grade oils differently. So some oils are fantastic for the face. So like argan oil is great. It's less likely to clog pores. Okay. And that's why you see a lot of facial argan oils. But then coconut oil, which I like, again, on the body and the hair, is like up there. We grade oils at like one to five. Coconut oil is a four in terms of clogging your pores. So Ooh. we don't want that on the face. Yeah. Okay. And, so you, and you can look that up, how the oils are graded. Yeah. Um, so I don't rule out oils, but you have to make sure you're using an oil that's safe for the face. That's great. That's a really good tip. So guys... 
make sure you do the research and figure out the grading system so that you know which oils are good for your skin and for your face or not. Yeah. Um, okay. So I'm glad you said that because when we talk about hair and, you know, I'm sure you're familiar with the LCO method or the LOC method. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. We like in, in our brand in Mizani, we, we talk about, cause we're a professional hair care brand in terms of, you know, we service salons and professionals, stylists, the science is really important to us. Mm-hmm. And we have seen the LOC method, obviously, um, which is very consumer language. It's all about like the liquid oil cream regimen. We mm-hmm. actually, exactly as you've just said, believe in the LCO method. So yeah. you use your liquid first. You go in with your cream, which brings all the, you know, the moisturizing benefits in from your cream into your hair cuticle um, and follicle. And then you can lock it in, you know, with the oil or take down your now dry style with the oil otherwise if you put the oil on first you're blocking any benefits exactly. you know penetrating the the hair itself from your cream so it aligns yeah. yay yay <laughs> all right so let's talk about sensitive skin what are some of the like key ingredients to really avoid if you've got skin that um is super sensitive so things you can avoid, like, so in your cleansers, um, things like sodium lauryl sulfate, you know, okay. stick to hydrating cleansers, sodium lauryl sulfate is really going to strip your moisture. Um, you know, if you're going to do a retinoid, maybe start out with a retinol, you know, you be really careful about how you introduce retinols and retinoids to your regimen. Mm-hmm. Um, let's say you're someone who has acne, you may want to, you may want to start out with like a glycolic acid, which okay. is a AHA because AHA will help to exfoliate, but it's also a hydrator. It's going to bring in moisture where a salicylic acid and something like benzoyl peroxide is going to dry your skin out more. So it's just about when you're choosing your active, always choosing the ingredients that are going to be a little bit more sensitive. So like niacinamide is soothing um, for the skin. Mm. You know, vitamin C is usually safe for most skin types. Really, really high concentrations can actually cause irritation, but most commercial um, preparations are not high enough to cause irritation. Um, Think about ingredients like ceramides or hyaluronic acid. When you're sensitive, it's all about strengthening and fortifying your skin barrier so mm-hmm. that you can keep yourself from in, encountering all of those external aggressors that want, that are going to cause you to become inflamed. Um, thinking about creams that contain things like, um, um, like I, I like, like La Roche-Posay, they have a lot of prebiotics in their products. So thinking yes. about yeah, products that have those prebiotics to help make sure that you're um, creating an, uh, an anti-inflammatory state in your skin, not a pro-inflammatory mm-hmm. state. So mm-hmm. always thinking about inflammation and looking for things that are like redness relief and that are anti-inflammatory to improve your skin um, and just not being too harsh. And then hydration, hydration, hydration. So as we kind of break down the ingredients, which is kind of what we're doing right now, acids, acids is such a big topic, you know, when it comes mm-hmm. to the formulation of, of skincare products. Uh, what are the key differences between an AHA and a BHA? And then you have the hyaluronic acid that you've already spoken about. Like, what are the key yeah. differences between them? So BHA is salicylic acid. It is salicylic um, acid. Okay. Salicylic acid. AHA is like glycolic acid, lactic acid, mandelic acid. Okay. Um, there are also polyhydroxy acids, which are like these bigger acids that are becoming popular now. What's mm-hmm. nice about them is that they're bigger, so they don't penetrate as deeply. So in theory, um, you get um, you get less irritation. Okay. Uh, and that's what's happening with glycol- with the AHAs versus the um, salicylic uh-huh. acid. So okay. they're not penetrating as deeply. You're not getting as much irritation. Um, they're bigger molecules that will draw in some water. So glycolic acid is a little bit more hydrating than 
um, salicylic acid, which mm -hmm. is going to go right down into your pore, which makes it great for acne. So it can go right down into that pore and help to exfoliate the lining of that pore to make sure that you're not getting clogged pores as much. Got it. Um, because it's small and it can just penetrate so deeply, it's just more aggressive. Um, so okay. the bigger difference is that the, you know, salicylic acid is going to penetrate, cause a little bit more dryness than the AHAs. But, you know, a high concentration AHA can also cause irritation. Right. Um, so they're not just like, you know, blanket safe for all, for all sure. skin types. It's all about the looking at the concentration um, and finding the one that's like safe for your skin type. Can you talk a little bit about organic ingredients? Because I think that there's this preconception that, um, and they might be right, I actually don't know. Um, there's a lot of people out there who are looking for strictly pure organic ingredients. Um, yeah. And in a lot of cases, we're hearing people reacting to those, you know, pure ingredients. Um, yeah. Are there any myths that you can debunk as it pertains to organic? Yeah. So I, I you know, I, I'm of two minds <laughs> when it comes to organic and natural, right? I think yeah. there's a place for it. I think it's good. But I think that it can also do a lot of harm. And I think this, this culture of being wed to only organic and natural is also um, creating lots of snake oil salesmen who will take your yeah. dollars mm -hmm. um, and sell you anything with a natural label on it. And like I always tell my patients, you know, um, snake, snake venom is natural. Um, arsenic <laughs> is natural. Um, you know, there's so many things that are natural that are horrible. So for true. So yeah. we can't just like blindly um, align ourselves to this natural word because it can actually do harm. Mm -hmm. And it can also um, have us delay appropriate treatment for things and do harm. Um, you know, are there some natural products that can work? Absolutely. But there's a time and a place and we should really be open to what works best and actually look for science to talk to us about the safety level. Right. For, this is a little bit of a tangent, but today I just, I just did a talk. I, I was on Cheddar TV. I don't know if you guys have heard of Cheddar TV, hmm. um, but they had me talk about um, safety and sunscreen and, and um, mosquito, um, mosquito repellent. And what okay. was really interesting to me is that everyone gets really worked up about DEET. And we should, you know, we should, we, we do get worked up about it. We want to reduce the chemicals yeah. um, that we're using. But studies show that DEET is safe um, for children that are um, two, two months and older. Okay. And oil of lemon eucalyptus, which is more natural, is really only safe for three years and above. Because when it's ingested, oh. it can also cause seizures. <laughs> oh. Right? It can also be kind of neurotoxic. And to me, it just highlighted how we are so wed to what's natural. Oh my gosh. And there are probably people out there using this oil of lemon eucalyptus yeah. aggressively and harming themselves because they feel like it's natural. Right. Um, anything that's natural that works also has a point where it's toxic. Anything that works can become toxic, right? Mm -hmm. And so whether it's natural or a chemical, there are just different thresholds. So it's all about not just believing labels, but actually doing the science. And that doesn't mean I'm wed to all things chemical. There are a lot of bad things chemical that we're doing. Yeah. If there's something that's natural, that's better and safer, I'm always going to pick that. Mm -hmm. But it's not always better. It's not always safer. So actually do the research and don't just follow the labels. Smart. Are there any buzz ingredients that you're just so excited about right now? <laughs> and what, and like new hot ingredients? Uh -huh. yeah, I've been talking a lot about sunscreen recently. Um, We're going to come to it. So, yeah. And so like a, a big topic recently has been like blue light. So we're all sitting in front yes. of our laptops. Yes. We're all in front of our phones. It's just like blue light, blue light, blue light, mm -hmm. all the LED lights that we have everywhere. Yeah. And how blue light um, not only can cause accelerated aging, but especially in women of color, it can cause hyperpigmentation. Mm -hmm. um, and so I've been thinking a lot about sunscreens that contain iron oxide because iron oxide helps to protect us against that. Iron oxide is also okay. used in tinted sunscreens 
um, because it kind of gives them the, the, the tint, the right. some of the tint made with iron oxide. So just thinking about smarter sunscreens that are going to protect us from things that are as ubiquitous as blue light that we just never think about, you know, yeah. because we're indoors, we think that we're safe. Um, so that I think about that. It's probably not a hot topic any, anymore. Um, but Bakuchiol or Bakuchiol. Oh, a yeah. I've been hearing a lot about that recently. Yeah, More recently, actually. Yeah, they call it the green retinoid. It's not actually a retinoid in structure at all. Okay. But it, um, it can give you some of those same benefits in terms of um, reducing fine lines and wrinkles, evening out the skin tone. But it's plant-based mm-hmm. and less likely to cause irritation. So that's a that's a okay. like a, a popular ingredient. CBD has been popular for a while. What is your thought uh, on CBD, like in skincare? I think that um, it may have a little bit of a role in inflammatory conditions. Mm-hmm. So like in things like eczema or psoriasis a little bit, yeah. I think when you ingest it, I think a lot of people anecdotally, and you know, there are some smaller case studies that say that it may help a little bit with anxiety and have mm-hmm. a lot of patients who swear by it yeah. um, for, for anxiety. Um, but I think it is limited right now. I think we were put people, not we, but people were pushing it as this like wonder drug that can heal yeah. acne and heal this and heal that and heal. And yeah. I don't think that it is that wide, doesn't have a wide range of mm-hmm. treatments. I think it does have some some slight anti-inflammatory properties that might make it pretty useful for or relatively useful for some inflammatory conditions. Yeah, there's a lot of hype around CPD. Uh, it's, you know, interesting and exciting. Um, but I'm just more curious to see what the data looks like once we start to get some real, you know, research um, as how CPD how effective it is on from a skincare perspective. Super interesting. Yeah. We'll see more of that, I'm sure, in the years to come. Yeah, for sure. All right. So I want to talk sunscreen because you've touched on it a few times already. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, knowing that this is more of a basic kind of 101 for those who are just getting into the world of skincare, knowing how important sunscreen is. I I know that there are two main types. There's your chemical sunscreen and then there's Mm -hmm. your physical sunscreen. What are the differences? Like if you're really educating someone who is learning about this for the first time, how can you, how do you explain the difference between how the two work? Yeah. So chemical sunscreens are made of chemicals. Um, yeah. And the way they work is that once the UV light comes in, the chemical sunscreens bond to your skin. They have a reaction with the UV light and they release it as heat. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you put on a chemical sunscreen, you read on the label, you must put it on, wait for 20, 30 minutes and go outside because they have to make, they have to interact with the skin mm-hmm. in order. And then they create that reaction. Yeah. Um, that heat release can be problematic for some. So people with sensitive skin, people with conditions like melasma, where melasma is sensitive even to heat and it can flare with heat, Mm -hmm. that can be an issue. Right. Um, And, you know, so that might be a reason not to use a chemical sunscreen. Historically, we've used them because they're more elegant. So they are, and by elegant, we mean less chalky, easier to spread. And now we live in a wonderful time where companies have gotten smarter and we now have technology that can make mineral sunscreens a lot more elegant for Mm -hmm. us. The mineral sunscreens work differently. So they contain ingredients like zinc and titanium dioxide, which are like more natural um, ingredients. Okay. Uh, and they sit on top of the skin and they reflect the light. So there's no chemical reaction. There's no okay. absorption into the skin. They're just re- reflecting the light. So once you put them on, they can reflect the light and work. Um, and so right now, I mean, I use both. But honestly, mm-hmm. if the technology gets great enough that um, that they're just as elegant, there would really be no reason to use a chemical sunscreen, right? Yeah, uh, because we have an improved safety margin and we um, and we have elegance, and it's cosmetically appropriate. 
So that's the main difference between the two. I'm hoping to your point that the technology advances so that we get a good physical sunscreen that doesn't, you know, leave that white, that white cast that none of us like. Um, I'm still searching. So, um, you know, I would encourage you. And I will say this. I do. I do a lot of work with CeraVe. So I love CeraVe. But the hydrating, um, hydrating sheer tint sunscreen is really good. I actually have a video on my Instagram of me putting it on. Oh, <laughs> but it good. In with my skin. And um, that's a good one. That's oh, 100% good. Mineral. And then Color Science has a powder that's SPF 50 that works for brown skin as well. And 100% mineral. Um, oh, amazing. So there are some interesting ones that are coming up. Awesome. That are 100% mineral that work on brown skin. Amazing. Okay. I'm definitely going to check them out. Let's skip to the world of wellness now. Okay. So I know you're a woman on the go. You're, you know, very professional. You have to do all these lives every day. What are the rituals that you do that keep you grounded? Yeah. So I am a huge fan of meditation. A huge yeah, fan. You are. Um, I've done the like transcendental meditation training and I, I love it. Transcendental meditation is a little hard. 20 minutes twice a day is a lot. Um, so my actual practice is a, is a, a fusion of transcendental and probably guided meditation. So I love all of the apps. I like Headspace. I like Calm. I like Breathe. Okay. Uh, but it, it really is important. Even if I can only get in, you know, five minutes in the morning, mm-hmm. it is taking that moment and intentionally kind of assessing yourself, um, preparing for the day, yeah. assessing what, how you feel like, does my back hurt? Why does it hurt? Is my stomach hurting this morning? Am I anxious mm-hmm. about something? Like taking that moment to just intentionally focus on yourself uh-huh. and then moving throughout your day with that intentionality really helps me. You know, but when I don't do that, I feel wildly emotionally disorganized throughout the day. You're just catching up, you know, you're not catching up. You don't take a moment to prioritize. Uh-huh. So meditation is definitely a huge part of my wellness. And I live by it and swear by it. Everyone should do it. Download all of the apps. Yes. <laughs> um, I think, I think it's, 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 it's huge for me. Um, you know, a lot of people get pushed back on it. I'm originally from Texas. And okay. that's the Bible belt. Uh-huh. So a lot of religious folks push back on it because they're like, it's Buddhist. Just, you're just thinking. You're just taking time. You're clearing the noise. And you're just centering yourself. Mm-hmm. And that is not a bad thing. Exactly. <laughs> no, that, What's yeah, so bad with that? What's so yeah, bad with that? So. <laughs> <laughs> okay, listen, just final messages from you. If there's one thing that you want to leave our listeners with um, as it pertains to, I don't know, any myths that we didn't talk about that you want to debunk, any key messages that you want to leave on our minds and hearts, what would it be? Oh, I would say, um, this is a good one. You have all the good questions. (laughs) I would say assess what feeds you. You know, I think that there's so much distraction in the social media age. We're believing this person's like perfect image. And this person, I have to be this way. Style my hair this way. I have to wear my makeup this way. Just think about what feeds you because Mm -hmm. the more we push back on that, I really think that's how we build up anxiety. Mm -hmm. That's how we build up things like imposter syndrome. Move in the way that you want to move and take up space because we all deserve to take up all the space we we, we desire, right? Yes. Don't don't quiet and shrink yourself. So just as a woman, that's what I think about is like taking up space. You know, I was arguing with my mom. She's very like prim and proper West Indian woman. She doesn't want to step on anyone's grass. And we don't step on grass. It's not appropriate, right? Okay. But- that translates to all things. She doesn't want to take up space to infringe upon anyone, right? Mm-hmm. But sometimes we deserve our space, yes. you know, and don't be afraid of taking up the space you need to mm-hmm. live and exist in the world in the way that you want to. So that's just, just one thing, take up space. Um, and then the next thing, just from a, I guess from a dermatologic and aesthetic standpoint, yeah. I do a lot of aesthetics and I do a lot of it in women of color. Um, 
it's kind of the same of the same vein. Be who you are. So many women come in and they say, oh, I don't like this little hump in my nose, but I don't want to change it because my dad has it and I'm embarrassed. But what do you do? Does it make you feel better if we hide it? Let's do it. Like, mm-hmm. just be who you are. If you want to fix something, fix it. It does not mean that you don't like your family, that you don't like being black, yeah. that you don't like, you know, being a woman. Mm-hmm. Feel your best self, whatever that means, and walk in that. And I'm not, I'm not, and I'm not one for dramatic changes. That's the beauty of being a dermatology. We yeah. live in the world of subtlety, you know? Yeah. Um, but exactly. so many women come in and they won't even tell me exactly what they want to change because there's so much shame about changing anything, right. or fixing anything. Yeah. You know, we should have the freedom to be who we are completely and not change anything. We should also have the freedom that if there's some little thing that we can make us feel better, we should do that as well. Sure. You know, it's not a sentence. Just think about what feeds you, makes you feel better, and have completely zero shame in doing what makes you feel like your best self. Zero shame, guys. All right, where can my listeners <laughs> find you? Where can they find you? They want to follow up on what you're doing. So you can find me on um, on Instagram at Dr. Michelle Henry or um, on my website at drmichellehenry.com. Dr. Michelle Henry, thank you so much for joining me in the lounge today. I really appreciate your your knowledge and your passion. Um, we would love to stay in touch and just follow what I you do. You. You've been awesome. Thank you so much for having me. This is fantastic. Well, Using your amazing platform to talk about all the things that are really special to me. So thanks for having me. Thank you. <laughs> Bye.